This is Christopher Lee. The Mummy, made by Hammer Films, in my opinion, is one of the best films of its kind that British cinema has made. I think it's the most beautiful looking film that Hammer ever made. More importantly, I think the music of The Mummy is greatly superior to all the other music in any other Hammer film. That's saying a great deal because there was some wonderful music in many of the Hammer films. But I repeat, the best looking picture with the best music and certainly one of the best films. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. The Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror! everyone and welcome to the vault of startling monster horror tales of terror i am your co-host mr luke jacanetti i want to thank everyone for downloading the show and welcome everyone to our show tonight as we are going old school once again we're going really old school as in you know the time bc tonight as uh, we're going to be taking a look at a classic and to join me on this little expedition this little um, you know, archaeological dig of a film that we're going through today. I have going uh, left to right on your radio dial, the hair metal hero Chris Tyler. Yeah, I got this toilet paper stuck to my foot. <laughs> yeah, you'll have that on your big jobs. Yeah. And then uh, continuing on, my brother Jason Jacanetti. Seems I've spent mo- the better part of my life amongst the dead. And continuing on, our good friend and freak extraordinaire, Chris Honeywell. I'm mentally disordered. <laughs> we know. Ten foot well. tall he was. Ten <laughs> foot tall. <laughs> well, he was seven, 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 seven foot, seven foot six. Seven, seven and a half. He would, uh, yeah. That's a little bunny, you understand here, Inspector. And, uh... <laughs> Just a little bunny, you see, and uh, and uh, if you can't tell from that, and if you can't, you haven't been paying attention, we're going to be taking a look at 1959's The Mummy from Hammer Studios, uh, directed by Terrence Fisher, starring Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee, continuing our look at the films of Hammer Horror. This, The Mummy, forms kind of the third leg of what is generally considered the triumvirate of the original OG Hammer films, following in the footsteps the uh, shuffling footsteps of Frankenstein in Curse of Frankenstein, and then Dracula and the horror of Dracula. Uh, kind of the, the third of the big three here, very well-regarded and classic mummy film. And as uh, anyone who's listened to this show knows, I'm a big fan of mummy movies and of mummies in general. So I was very eager, and I think we all know what my opinion is going to be. So I'm going to throw it to you guys. What did you guys think of The Mummy? This was my first mummy movie, except really? for Baba Hotep. And, uh, really? Really? Uh, uh, and movies where the mummy, uh, like the mon- I don't count the Monster Squad as a mummy movie. Right. It's a movie that the mummy was in, or any Abbott and Costello-y type stuff like this. But yeah, this was besides Bubba Hotep, this was my first um, classic mummy movie. 
and I liked it. I was mm-hmm. very surprised that um, for the third outing that they dialed back the groove factor <laughs> on it. <laughs> I mean, it sort of. I mean, it sort of is. The story goes that way, but it was. I think it was kind of a ballsy direction for them to do something more classical and less less violent. There's a little cleavage, heavy cleavy. Oh, going yeah. on but it's, yeah but uh, uh, you know it's it's a lot tamer than its predecessors and mm-hmm. it relies on the performances of its you know stock characters and once again you know Christopher Lee's got to do you know uh, underneath tons of makeup and yeah but not entirely yeah yeah Lee Lee gets to he he just just again just to cover kind of our bases this is like the two previous ones, this is ostensibly a remake of the Universal film *The Mummy*, but in a lot of, in pretty much all ways except a few minor plot elements, this is a remake of the later *Mummy* films. Um, the Universal *Mummy* film, starting with *The Mummy* in 1932, featured the character of Imhotep, which mar- modern audiences will remember from the *The Mummy* and *The Mummy Returns* by Stephen Sommers. The characters of Imhotep and Anaxuna uh, Moon, which is pronounced Anaxunaman in the original. And then the later films, starting with The Mummy's Hand and following up with The, the Mummy's Tomb, The Mummy's Cur- Ghost, and The Mummy's Curse, they featured the mummy Karas and his princess Ananka, who he was devoted to and uh, was mummified alive for because of his devotion to. So th- this is, it's weird because the other ones. They kind of borrow the idea of Frankenstein and the idea of uh, Dracula, but not specifically remake them. Whereas here, there are characters and, and elements directly borrowed from the later Chorus films. So this is, you say it's, it's your first classic mummy movie. This is almost like a greatest hits mummy movie. Yeah. It's taking all the best elements from those earlier Universal films and then, first of making them look lovely. Um, you know, under under the eye of, of uh, Jimmy of Terrence Fisher, and in the color palette that Hammer has become known for, but uh, and as as Hero alluded to, you're right. Uh, Lee once again plays the mummy or plays the monster. He plays Karis, but much like um, Boris Karloff and then Tom Tyler before him, he also gets to appear as the mummy before he is mummified. So we get some scenes of him uh, actually getting to do some acting. Uh, without all the uh, the pancake and the piles of bandages and everything else on him, <laughs> yeah, he's wearing well, a lot, well, of, lot of eyeliner though. He's wearing a lot of makeup. It's it, just it a was lot of Everybody yeah. wore eyeliner. It wasn't yeah. metrosexual. It was just it was the, it was it. That's what you did. I'm just saying it's, it he, was he's not wearing all the bandages. The a lot of eyeliner. Yeah, he's, well, <laughs> he's like maybe it's Maybelline. I don't know. Well, so. it, 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 once again, it looks beautiful, but they did it with a few simple sets. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't think there was an exterior shot in the no, whole thing. No, I think was that was it? all soundstage. Oh yeah, this was all soundstaged. Um, yeah, everything. The only, there, there's some there's some stock footage of the outside a few times. That's yes. about it. <laughs> the, all all the outside is just stock footage. Well, and, and, and yeah, you know that that's the thing. You think about you know a lot of times, um, you think about oh a mummy movie it must take place in Egypt and most mummy movies don't. They usually take place either in England or in the United States, other than the beginning. Time. Or Louise, well, that's part of the United States. At <laughs> yeah, least, I know. You know like, legally speaking. The, very speaking, very, yes, very, very specifically. Louisiana in yeah. a swamp. In a swamp. So, well, what, that that's the end of this one comes uh, yes. straight from uh, The Mummy's Ghost with the swamp at the yeah. end. 
Um, but but yeah, so there there isn't a lot, but they they get a they they get a lot of mileage out of those sets. I mean, Ananka's tomb is just you know, and, and it's just again, it's just we all anyone who knows who's seen a mummy film, obviously anybody other than Chris Honeywell, um, <laughs> no, knows basically the setup here. You know, you've got a, a princess who dies; she's mummified. Our 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 mummy, uh, eventual mummy character wants to bring her back to life using some kind of forbidden magic or forbidden spell. He is caught and is sentenced to be mummified alive for his crimes. And then in the, um, you know, modern day, which is to say the past, a uh, <laughs> the tomb is discovered <laughs> by typically... The tomb is discovered by generally well-meaning archaeologists who accidentally unleashed the curse. This place, it is cursed! And uh, this is cursed. This is cursed. That is cursed. Everything is cursed. But uh, so they they unleash the curse, and then the mummy comes back to life to choke them to death. So so we get a Nanka's tomb, and the first time we see it, of course, is when um, you know the elder uh, Banning, who is the father of uh, Peter Cushing's character, and his assistant uh, Joseph, or uh, yeah, uh, go in and open it up. And we see it as it's been sitting, and we see it in darkness, lit only by a few a few uh, torches that they have, and it's it's been sitting there for thousands and thousands of years. But then we see that same set when we get the flashbacks, and now it's it's newly constructed, and everything is bright, and all the paint is still on there, and everything is fresh, and it looks so exotic, and uh, you know it. We don't we don't really know that that's what an ancient Egyptian temple looked like, but I think in our minds we all kind of believe it, you know? No, well, I believed it. They set it up really well because you saw them marching in with all the stuff and then you see the stuff all set up in there, mm. you know? So they, they gave you all the, the setup, so it makes sense within itself and and it makes sense, like, I because, and, and I'm familiar with all the mummy stories because I always read all the monster books about the mummy movies and stuff. I, I think I never saw him just because I never caught one as a kid, mm-hmm. and and um, but they set it all up and it sort of matches because you know as soon as they they started you know getting into the tombs and into the pyramids and King Tut's tomb and stuff and all the stories around it, there was sort of a stock description of the inside of a tomb and you know they brought all the stuff for the for them for the afterlife and all that, and they were adding all these little kinky extras with you know the scroll in the wall and and the mummy in the wall yeah that's <laughs> you a big know, one and, and all that stuff but it, it sort of matched in my head that when when i would read those books about king tut's tomb and stuff and they would describe going into it it sort of matched that description whether it really looked like that or they just worked from like that general and and you know by that time there were lots of like books and articles about it for for them to work on but I don't know if they. I, it it doesn't appear like after seeing pictures that they worked from actual the actual look of going into a tomb, but yeah. But that's that's what a yeah. mummy's. That's what a tomb of a of a princess of an Egyptian princess looks like yeah, now. I, because I don't pop know what the inside of that. a vampire's castle looks like either. But I right. I, <laughs> I'm so good with the what... uh, the 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 glass fiber the fiber the glass fiber replica sarcophagus right that you've seen in, in that, they're talking about in that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, it was so well done. It actually is in the collection of the uh, Perth Museum and Art Gallery. Wow. Right? Because it was so well done. They're like, well, we could just take that mm-hmm. and put it in our museum. <laughs> yeah. Which is a good idea. Well, I mean, because, because it looks real. I mean, make again, a it's real. It's for a museum anyway, you know? Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. yeah. So they're like, let's use that one. And uh, to your point about the sets being reused, 
Stephen Banning's uh, uh, nursing room, nursing home room, is actually a recycled set from The Man Who Can Cheat Death, 1959, and the swamp set was actually used in Yesterday's Enemy, also 1959, which is kind of funny because they're just they were just soundstage sets. They're like, well, we can use this. Yeah. I, I feel it's like. Um, <laughs> what's, the, what's the old Roger Corman? Shoot and get away. No, no, light you know? and get away. Light, get away. Yeah. <laughs> right, light, get away. Let's shoot this thing. Let's get this done. The yeah. thing about Terrence Fisher, because Terrence Fisher did this, and this has got Cushing and Lee and Fisher, and they only did so many movies together. And, um, uh, just, that, not just to interject, also written by Jimmy Sangster as well. Yes. So you got the, right. same, the same basic crew. Yeah. I'm Here. saying, back them together is such a rare occurrence. Like, it seems like everyone's like, oh, well, they were all the movies. Like, Terrence Fisher didn't direct them all. Jimmy Stanksher didn't write them all. Cushing and Lee did appear in a bunch that Fisher didn't direct. But to have them all together was kind of like that perfect storm of, like, they, you know, after uh, Frankenstein and then Horror Dracula. Like, they were able to make these things, and it would help Hammer establish itself as a major player in this field. Because, you know, early Hammer stuff is nothing to do with horror. I mean, they, they you know, you look at the early Hammer stuff, we're talking like um, Quartermass and that stuff like that. You know, like uh, Quartermass in the Pit and The Enemy Within. And, and they do uh, like screwball comedies too. They, yeah, well, take all that stuff. They they, 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 they made they made film noir kind of stuff. They they made right. like, they, they kind of made whatever they, like, they, they were trying to make. They were just turning out B movies, basically. And the horror movies, they went, they made committed a lot of money to them because they were in color and at the time it was like okay we're going to put it on you know higher stock and make them in color and they went full out with all this because victoria i mean again by the standards of some of the movies made in the you know like the late 50s and 60s in america it might have been quote unquote lower low budget or a lower budget but they really committed to be making the best movie they could do and you know the nice part about having uh like cushing and lee I mean, we know Cushing and Lee were both in, obviously, they, but they, they were actually in Hamlet uh, in 1948 together. And actually, so was uh, Felix uh, uh, Alamere. He also appeared in the same production. So they went and got guys who were, you know, trained actors. They didn't just go get some schlub to say, well, hey, put that guy in bandages. Great. Because when you watch the later, well, Luke and Luke can attest to this, yeah. like, Curse of the Mummy's Tomb, The Mummy's Shroud, like there's no Christopher Lee in those, and then the the makeup is just a mask. Yeah, right. It's like you know, it just it goes downhill because they were like, we could make these even cheaper, and it's just, it's it's sad sometimes. Yeah, and and that's and that's unfortunately kind of the stock and trade of the mummy film because we think, oh, it's a mummy, just wrap the guy up in bandages, you know. Yeah. And and that so that's what you get sometimes, you know. uh, uh, Chris, you alluded to earlier, Abbott and Costello. Abbott and Costello will meet the mummy featuring. Um, the mummy Kolaris, uh, thought to be in some circles to be Karis's uh, second cousin like or Greek something Greek. like that. Yeah, Kolaris. Uh, <laughs> Kolaris. Yeah, it's it's uh, you know now now with with walnuts, but uh, <laughs> in bags. <laughs> but uh, it, walnuts in bags. Bags. But he. A I mean, big he, W. Yeah. It could, what it, what is it? That's what I got to find out. But uh, so the. <laughs> You know, he he's literally wearing just a rubber suit, and it looks yes, like yeah. rubber bandages moving around him. Yes. Whereas uh, the, here, that's the thing. This is the best looking mummy I've ever seen. Yeah. Oh yeah, because just like the strength of um, now 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 we we talked about this over when Jay and I did Is It Jaws, and we talked about uh, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. We talked a bit about the ability of Lon Chaney Jr., who was not a great what we call now a face actor. But he had a lot of skill as what we call a suit actor. 
as be doing his monster roles and acting physically, acting with his body. And um, now Peter, now Christopher Lee was a very good face actor, but was also a fantastic suit actor. And we see that here because while in the flashbacks, Kaharis gets to talk and read the rights and it's all very, very Christopher Lee, you know. Uh, but when he is Kaharis, he can't talk and he has to communicate through his body language. And the scene that is, to me, the one that is the most effective at showing Lee at the kind of the top of his game of, of acting just through his, you know, his body language is when he goes back to, um, to Mehmet Bey's uh, house and he tells him that he did not kill John Banning. And he, he finds it out and he just gives him, he says that, uh, you know, we, he tells him that we have to go back out and we have to kill the girl. And he just glares at him. He absolutely just glares at him and then knows mm -hmm. he has to obey and goes back inside his tomb. And so it's that, you know, it's again, it's just the little things like that. You know, first off, Lee is such an imposing dude anyway. You know, when he when yeah. he comes out of the swamp, you know, we're all used to Kaharis being Lon Chaney Jr. dragging his foot behind him. You know, here he's obviously stiff because he's been in the crate. But when he lumbers out and then it's like, dude, that's a big friggin' dude. And then, <laughs> yeah. You know, he he, he tears through the, the doors like the George Reeves Superman, you know. And it's like, holy shit, you know, that this this guy's not playing around here. So, well, <laughs> a funny, funny thing. OK, so you're ready. I mean, and Christopher Lee, uh, you know, it's funny when you hear when you heard him talk about this later on, uh, you know, because he would remember back and he tells these stories about how um, when he's supposed to burst through the French doors, they're supposed to be sugar glass, but they forgot to put the sugar glass in there. Oh, nope. Jesus. So it's real glass. So he went through those went through those doors and it's real glass and he's he actually is cut up and he started to bleed. Now you don't see it in the film, but he's that he he said he was his he was all cut underneath and they took the bandages off. There was there were blood soaked, right? The front door when he hits the front door with his shoulder, if you when you watch that scene, watch his shoulder one dips down real low. He separated it. He oh. hit the, the door was supposed to be no hinges, right? The door was supposed to be off the hinges. He hits the door and separates his shoulder. But being a professional, he continued the scene with the bus, and he, and he, he that's, that's when they go to grab his arm, and he's like, God, you, know, you can see him, like, in pain, like, but his shoulder, because we were watching the movie, and Kelly said to me, did he really separate his shoulder? Oh, yeah, this is the scene where he separated his shoulder. He goes, you can see his shoulder separated. Like, she looked right at him, he goes, you can see it, right? Yeah. And then when he gets shot, right, the, this, he gets shot with the, the little squibs on his chest, when he's getting, and each one of them burned him, because yeah. they were, because the bandages, they got too hot and it burned his chest, right? Oh, and so what happens, right? So he's got he's been burned. He separated his shoulder, right? He got cut up with the glass. He had to pick up, um, uh, what's her name? The girl. Uh, I don't know her actual actual, actual name. Uh, yeah, I don't know her Yvonne actual name. Yvonne Furneaux. Yeah, Yvonne, Yvonne Furneaux. Right? Yeah. He picked her up, and the problem was they told her, "You're limp. Don't help him." So she did. Well, guess what? He threw his back out, right? Because yeah, right. she's heavy. Because she's because it, it, it's hard to carry a, a full-grown person without them helping a little bit. You know it's what I'm saying? Dead weight. So he threw yeah. His, yeah. Yeah. Right. And then of course he's in the swamp and he can't see a goddamn thing in the swamp. Well, underneath the swamp to make the bubbles are pipes. So he smashed up his legs and almost tripped over the pipes, right? But Christopher Lee, you're like, Chris, this is Christopher Lee's a serious actor doing all this yeah. crap, right? <laughs> but this was what the role called for. Yeah. And 20 years later, it would have been just a series of lawsuits, basically. Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, this movie kicked his ass. That's, there's no, that, and he says that though, and he 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 would when 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 you looked at interviews with him talking about the mummy, he said that he he enjoyed his time doing these things, but this movie was one of the it took the most, the most physical toll on him of any of his movies because, 
again, he's in that bandage stuff all day. They had to put him up. He went to get made up. He was done, right? And then, but he got cut, and he went, and they can't unwrap him because they have to do the makeup all over again. So like, yeah. well, just keep going, Chris. You know, kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah. oh, oh he, yeah. Yeah, one of the things that you can say is this, and I, and I said this when we talked about Horror Dracula, because Horror Dracula is my favorite, dra- is my to me, the best Dracula movie of all time. This is, the to, to me, the, the measuring stick yep. for Mummy movies. Mm-hmm. Because this, I mean, I love the old Universals. I'm not a huge fan of the Mummy, the original one with Karloff, as much as the uh, sequels, because I kind of like my, my Mummy in my movie and not just Old Man in my movie um <laughs> but as, i'm not taking the mummy itself with carla uh, carloff is a very different story it's not these kind of mummy movies but to me this this movie has everything you're going to want in a mummy movie by way of the effects by way of the the egyptian stuff by way of like it, everything kind of makes sense and you're like okay sure like again you have to be willing to believe you know that the mummy's real but this stuff you totally okay i could totally buy this and it's and it's his uh, Lee's performance is is great with saying very minimal words, right? Uh, I think um, this is a perfect example when we see Cushing not. I mean, he's again he's the hero, but he's not like it's not Van Helsing the hero. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, right. Uh, I think uh, I think um, we see with uh, we see with uh, uh, obviously with um, Cushing here is we get to see the good guy Cushing because to me, I mean, he is the best. Dr. Frankenstein ever because he's just the most mad crazy person uh, but we see that that he can be that the foil to uh, you know the evil that that you know that they're trying to unleash here it's it's just it's just exactly what it I mean it, it hits all those right notes I think it is that love like Luke said it's kind of a love letter to all those old mummy movies um, I think a lot of mummy movies after this tried to make this movie again you know right. uh, Hammer did Hammer tried to make this movie yeah. over and over again. They couldn't oh, yeah. do it. They, you know, they, kind of basically, basically tried twice, and I will, I will give them credit. <clears throat> of the four Mummy movies that Hammer made, which uh, Jay alluded to some of them earlier, it's The Mummy, The Curse of the Mummy's Tomb, which in my mind, Jay knows what I'm about to do right now. The Curse, the the curse, curse of, the of the Mummy's Tomb and The Gorgon. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so. if you ever look up <laughs> the old trailer for when The Curse of the Mummy's Tomb and The Gorgon were a double feature, that's the song. Uh, right up yeah. there with the uh, the free Rasputin beards when you go see Rasputin the Mad Monk. Guys and gals, remember, disguise yourself from the forces of evil. Get your Rasputin beard free as you enter the theater. Uh, this is Sorry. all shooting. <laughs> Sorry, Christopher Lee. Yeah. Free Rasputin beards! I'll tell, you right now. I'll tell you right now, though. The what he called the Rasputin beards is funny. But the the curse the curse of the mummy's tomb that shit will be stuck in your skull. Yeah. You watch that, Luke and I forever. We're like, oh my god! And it's just it was like the worst. It was the worst singing ever. So you know, <laughs> sorry, didn't mean to cut yeah. you off. Luke, no, no. You know? And that, then they did the mummy shroud, and they the mummy the curse of the mummy's tomb is like the most generic. I mean, I love it because it's a hammer mummy movie, but it's like the most yeah, generic yeah, yeah. mummy movie ever made. I mean, literally, it could have been just put, you know, Mummy Movie Number Three One Six or something like that. And uh, the Mummy Shroud is—I've only seen once. It's—it's it's kind of odd because it was made during that odd kind of middle period for Hammer. And then they did um, you know, in their awkward teenage years. 
Uh, I dropped this one in the fire. Uh, I got a girlfriend. She'd kick my ass. Uh, but um, then, then they did Blood from the Mummy's Tomb, which is inspired a lot by um, uh, Bram Stoker's um, Jewel of the Seven Stars, and it has a female mummy who's not obviously wearing any bandages, and being a later Hammer film is She's hot. Yeah. She most she mostly uh, naked. He's mostly, mostly naked, naked as playing as Queen Terra. So, but that that's oh, that's best. kind of a, yeah. It's, Blood for the Mummy's Tomb is kind of a horse of a different color. If you get my drift, but uh, <laughs> not uh, <but laughs> So it's a naked horse of a different color. Yeah, Ooh, yes. Nice. Duh, but uh, I don't know why I've got the whole uh, Jackie Gleason <laughs> thing going on here, Jeez. but. Um, it wasn't an astronaut. He was a TV comic, and he was only using space travel as a euphemism for beating his wife. But the uh, <laughs> until so the they showed him the UFOs. Yeah, then then the shit got real. But anyway, uh, yeah, to know it, it's kind of no. But in retrospect, watching this for for this because I've seen this movie a hundred times, and and yeah. this was one that we'd see a lot on like TBS. You know, uh, back in the U.S., you know, not so much USA, but TBS would show this one sometimes, and and it, it's you know, it, it's it's easy. It's one of those we talked about this with on some other films. It's one of those ones that's easy to show on TV. There's nothing yeah, there's that nothing needs to be out. cut out. You know, yeah. the, the, with Kaharis being thousands of years old, he doesn't have any blood left. You know, and he chokes <laughs> yeah. people to death. So there's nothing graphic that you got to cut out with that. I will say the scene of him getting the the poker stabbed through him. <sighs> Was yeah. that that was Cushing's idea? Because he said on you know on the poster he's got a hole in him and they're shining the light through him. Yes, I've always yeah. seen that light. picture and I've always been yeah. like I always thought that was from the movie and I'm like that's an impressive effect. But, yeah, yeah, not so much. But but they but the they do <laughs> but they do ram the poker through him. You know he they gets. Do. I mean he get like I said he gets the, the the shot he gets shot through with the shotgun he gets you know that the whole fusillade of bullets at the end is riddling him. So he's. You know, again, but then you think about the fact, okay, this is the same guy. There's nothing in him but dust, and he tore apart those doors. He throws people around like rag dolls. You know, it's like, damn. So it really is kind of the, in, in a way, it, it's everything of the concept of the reanimated mummy back to get revenge on those who defiled the tomb. It, it boils it down into the, the, you know, into the essences. And the comparison I made in my mind as I was watching this, because I had this conversation not too long ago with, uh, with, with somebody offline, was that, you know, um, the James Bond movie, The Spy Who Loved Me, is in many ways a perfect movie because it is a greatest hits movie. It's all the, it's all the best sequences and, and ideas and concepts from earlier in the series thrown into one movie and done in a, in a, you know, in a, in a well-done, uh, exciting, fast-paced way. So that's what we have here. Here, you don't need to spend, you know, a couple hours, and really it's only a couple hours because they all clock in in the somewhere in the 63 to 68 minute range for the, the Mummy right. sequels. You could watch yeah. all four of them basically five hours. So, you know, do with that information what you will. <laughs> so, we did. We did. We've done that on more than one occasion. You don't have to spend five hours watching, and, and I'd also like to point out, all of them have at least five minutes of stock footage in them. Of, oh, of, George, the, the, of George Zuko rolling down the stairs, of Tom yes. Tyler in the temple. Poor, you know, uh, uh, Lon Chaney Jr. They don't even re let him reshoot the scenes of Tom Tyler. They're Tom Tyler scenes. 
Tom Tyler's yeah. in there, even though he's not in the movie. You don't get, you know, all that stock footage. You know, the, we have to talk about the brewing of the tana leaves and all that. And uh, but all that, so you don't have to do that. You can watch this movie, which is better than all of them, and has all the best yeah. stuff from that. And it's beautiful. I mean, it's absolutely beautiful. You know, the you, Chris, you alluded to earlier. They're doing when when Banning is telling the story about uh, Ananka's funeral rites. And they're showing all the stuff being brought in and all the different, the Nubian slaves and the handmaidens and the soldiers and, and Anubis and the, the boat that will carry you across the river and all that. It's like, wow, this is four years before Cleopatra. And it's a million times better than the same-seeming <laughs> Cleopatra. And I'm not, I'm not even, I'm not even hang joking. I'm being totally one serious. Second. LP, hang on, hang on. Jack Bone. That's for you. My dad agrees. Luke agrees. We all agree. Please, please. When when we get to that episode of Boss Bugs and Babes, because Dad oh. bad mouthed Cleopatra one time, and yeah, and it came up in an episode of Boss Bugs and Babes. Jack, that one's for you, buddy. So <laughs> go, but, Luke. But in, all, but in all seriousness, it's the same idea, but it here, is. It is. okay, Sankster's script, okay, takes the time to you know give us a framing device to give us context. Okay, Banning is telling the story about how what's going on. You know, Fisher keeps it within the realms of reality. It doesn't get ridiculous and out of hand like it does in yeah. Cleopatra. And it and it suits the story, and it, we understand it. It's not just, look at this, look at all this beautiful stuff we can shoot, because we got this giant camera, and we got all this money, and we got all these gold sticks that guys are carrying around for no reason. There's another Cleopatra story for no, you, No, right? this was, they gotta go down the dirt road and just get yeah. to the tomb. Yeah. But you know what? <laughs> that Not only is it more effective, that's more realistic. That's probably more because, what it was like, for sure. Right, because yeah. I, I, I doubt that they had all this opulent crap, you know, in Cleopatra's time. I'm sure they had lots of gold, and had lots of people painted up and all this but to me this is more realistic this is this is what you have to work with this is the ancient world it's not the it's not the 60s where you can make this shit easily because you have manufactured goods or in this case the 50s this this you know being low budget sometimes helps when something's supposed to look low budget (laughs) so i mean it, it works just it just works well and again like i said all those rights and everything i mean what is that that's people shooting on a soundstage that's very carefully blocking out so you don't see you know, um, uh, Yvette, uh, Yvonne Furneaux's breasts, you know, you see just enough of her breasts and just enough of the rest of her that it's like, Oh yeah, that chick's naked, you know? Yeah. So it's like, uh, it's like Christopher Lee's like, yes, yes, (laughs) you know, (laughs) (laughs) paying off, but so, uh, Jack Asher, he was the director of photography. He wanted to create the impression that the tomb had not been opened, obviously for thousands of years. That's kind of a problem though, because it's all sand, right? So he had the crew members climb into the catwalks above the set and spray the air with water before each scene. As the water particles, like you had the water in there, it was so hot that it would take all the smoke and dust with them and leave the air completely clear kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. So he had all of them climbing through catwalks and stuff so there wouldn't be all the – because that's one of the, what's the, what's one of the, biggest, the biggest complaints about when you see something on a beach – whatever there's like tire tracks or something like yeah okay it's supposed to be one million years bc it's supposed to be the time of dinosaurs and someone drove a you know a chevy through there oh, you know it could, kind of it could be so. like a tour the fighting eagle with the guy wearing the ray-bans you know oh god well, that's yes <laughs> yeah. oh yeah. my god i'm having flashbacks <laughs> to my childhood <laughs> oh god either, either cave dwellers or a tour the flying eagle depending on what superstation you watched it on but <laughs> yeah <laughs> no, I, I agree. It, you, but you know, it, again, it's little things like that. When you got to get get stuff done, you think of ways to do stuff. You know, there was there was uh, some stuff that was cheesy, like the first scene outside the tomb, and you got all the ro- workers, and they just like gave everybody a rock. 
<laughs> and they're just sort of sitting there hitting hitting the rocks, pounding on the rocks. It's like they're not fossil hunting. There's a tomb over there. What are they? You know, there's nothing inside the rock. The the Egyptians didn't hide stuff. That you'd be digging, you know. But uh, you know, you you get what you pay for. I guess so. Yeah. I don't know. We ha- that's all they know how to do. Give them give them a hammer, and everything looks like a nail. Yeah. <laughs> I have a question for the ex. Since I've only seen Bubba Hotep, the, the these two elements, like, and I don't know if maybe Coscarelli was watching this movie and and put this in or or these were elements from something else that got into this movie and then got into Bubba Hotep. But there's uh, the line, you know, it's it's just up past the nursing home. Mm-hmm. And I was like, nursing home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then uh, and then the scene with the um with the the sarcophagus getting or the, you know, the box with the sarcophagus getting dumped in the swamp. Yep. Was almost that was almost the exact same shot as Bubba Hotep. Mm-hmm. So I well, wonder, I mean, were those in were those elements in the the nursing home? I don't know. Just a reference. That's, that's to Joe Land. Well, that's based on Joe R. Lansdale short short story. So yeah. Okay. So, so you'd yeah, have to ask be... the author. Right. Well, the thing is that I mean, the you know, the, there is the I. I I'm trying to think of that. Do you see the mummy sarcophagus actually dumped in it? Um, the swamp bit that ends up in the in the universal ones is like the end of this, except yeah. where he's carrying the reincarnation of Ananka. Except spoilers, he takes her with him. They both go down yes. into the swamp at the yeah. end of the mummy's ghost, and then at the beginning of the mummy's curse, actually, it's Ananka that comes out of the swamp, and it's actually actually one of the best little uh, shots in the entire mummy or view is Ananka coming out of the swamp because they, they crank the camera. They overcrank the camera and then when she moves it's all herky-jerky like she's been stuck in a swamp for at that time it's like 30 years or something. But it, if you follow the timeline of the Universal movies the last one takes place in like 1996 and, and that's and I'm not again that is an absolute it's clearly not because, 1996 though. Right. Because it's, <laughs> it's, it's obviously 1944. But uh, you yes. know the but it's like, oh, it's like th- this happened, and then 30 years pass, and then 30 years pass. It's like, wait a minute, what? But, you know, <laughs> yeah. here they, they don't have such chronological issues to deal with. But, yeah, I mean, you know, it's one of the – so I think it, it may have been a direct – it may have been an homage from Casarillo. You're right, but the – you know, that this film is – because even though it borrows elements, it does do stuff that's that's original. The idea of – but, you know, some of these things are, are kind of timeless. The idea of – you know, there being a, a young devotee who is there, who's kind of the human uh, handler, so to speak, for Karis, is very, very common. Typically, in the uh, in the Universal films, he would end up betraying him and then getting killed in the last reel. Um, and uh, the ones with uh, with um, George Chaney, Zuko, you know? George Zuko played it a lot. Zuko was also kind of the old. He was also the old priest a lot too. Yeah, you know? he, yeah, the old priest thing he would play. It yeah. was, it was. Uh, well, Tur- um, he, George Zuko played. Uh, they said he would play the priest who would explain to the young uh, acolyte who was played by Turan Bey, who was a kind of a. Yep. Uh, he was a Turkish actor. He did a lot of. Uh, um, he did. He was kind of like a, a studio player for Universal, but he did a lot of different stuff. He probably did a lot of fez work, I think. Yeah, a lot of fez work. He fezes fact, are cool. Uh, well, you know. <laughs> You know, I you know I know what's funny. Before Doctor Who made Fezes cool, I thought Fezes were cool because Sala wore one in in Last Crusade, oh, and yeah. I thought I am the monarch of the sea. Sala, I said I it's from no Morocco camel. Mole. I said no camel. <laughs> that is one, two, three, four, four camels. 
<laughs> yeah, that might be cool, but that's not as cool as Gene Hendricks picking you up from your flight to New Jersey wearing a fez. Well, there you go. Who can argue with that? So That's a real-life fez on a real-life person that we know. Oh, I mean, okay, that's true. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know George Reese Davies, even though he is a real-life person. But... <laughs> yeah, but we've never met him, so does he actually exist? He's a master. Of fe- he's also a master of fez work. <laughs> a master fezpian. Fezpian. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. You know, talking about uh, wearing fezes, Mehmet Bey, as I said, he this kind of a stock character from the Universal movies, the young acolyte that would be the handler, like I said. When when uh, when Peter Cushing, as John Benning, goes over to his house, you know, they, they, the term didn't exist in 1959, but he is throwing all kinds of shade up in this <laughs> guy's grill. It's yeah. like, oh, such a backward, <laughs> stupid, moronic country like Egypt. It's like... <laughs> You know, all, all, the only thing he was missing was cash me outside. That's yeah. all he was missing. <laughs> cash me outside, Fez boy. <laughs> I, I, we it, can't be who, can't, who can't be topical? Who can't with, be topical? That's when the I Egyptian stated his case, I was like, you know what? I kind of agree with this guy. <laughs> I kind of feel for this guy. Well, you know, He's the, on point. They say, you know, they say the best villains are the ones whose motivation you can understand. Yeah. And uh, you know, we can understand Cars' motivation is that I'm gonna choke a bitch. That's what his motivation is. I want my woman back. <laughs> yeah. He's he's got his go-to move. He's the choke. The ultimate you know? stalker. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, hey, he's he's been sitting there 20 feet from her for how many thousands he of years, and he couldn't go dedicated. I'll just Talking watch. I'll, I'll just sit here and watch yeah. you sleep. <laughs> I like to watch. Um, I'm kind of dead, so I don't know if it's gonna work out. But like, I love I love you like you're my brother. <laughs> He's like, oh, for the love. <laughs> that would be the ultimate. She comes out. She's like, oh my god, thank you so much. But like, you know, I always thought of you like my brother. I'm well, like, that was like. Oh, I mean, oh, he was oh, like oh. a knight. That, that there were there were knights that that that, that like you know, would pledge themselves to their queens almost yeah. like they were wedded to them, but they had to have a chaste relationship with them, but they also had to go out and, and battle for them and stuff and do all the, like, whatever acts their queen would ask. Mm. So he was sort of cut from that mold. Well, you know what? <laughs> you know, well, you know he, what's... He's not. He's coming back. He broke into the chamber to bring her back from the dead because now that she, was, she had died, that, yeah. he could now get with her. It was seriously, he's like, look, I am finally going to nail that Ananka chick. Let's get this going. You yeah. know? It, it, well, it I think the knights would have done that, just, too. Yeah, well, but it wasn't. Well, it wasn't but he's just, also yeah. thinking, like, alive, dead, whatever. I can yeah. do this. Well, but you know, but it, it's not. Most dead. Mostly so. dead. It's not, it's, not, it's not just a one-way thing. It's not like Karis is obsessed with yeah. Ananka. And it, they, they were in love, but it was forbidden. Okay. So yeah. you do feel a little bit for Karis because of the position that he's in, and you know, um, and and, I'll, and I might I might take some the aforementioned shade for this, but you know what? Frankly, I don't really give a rat's ass. I like both of the Steven Summers Mummy films. I like them quite a bit. I think they're a lot of fun, even if they lean a bit more towards Raiders of the Lost Ark in tone. Yeah. Not they necessarily do. in quality, but in tone, as far as fun adventure movie, than they do horror movie. But that's yeah. that's a stylistic choice. But okay. Um, um, Arnold Voslo as Imhotep 
really is, you know, again, it's the same type of stuff. It's the idea of, you know, the, 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 the forbidden love, because in that case, a Noxuna moon is promised to Pharaoh and it's Pharaoh's girl. So you can't you can't hit Pharaoh's girl. Everybody knows that, especially when no. you're the high priest. And uh, so right. he gets, you know, and so he does the same thing when tries to bring her back so that they can be together, because now now that she's dead, all rules are off. And it's an interesting connection because the scene here of where, you know, again, during the flashback when they say that his tongue was removed so as not to offend the gods, yeah. the way that that is cut is almost the exact same yep. way that Summers does it with Vozlo on his knees and his tongue held and they, right as they're going to cut it, they, the guy walks in front of the camera and you just hear the shrieking. Yeah. And then again, being bandaged up and all that. Now, they don't dump scarabs on him in this one, you know, because... Uh, that's not horrifying, but you know, uh, <laughs> I'll never forget that. I, I will never forget that. My dad, uh, Jay, you were still at college. You were still up at school. Um, okay. And no, no, or or you were you whatever it was I was back from school and you weren't because Clemson got it earlier than Albany, and so Dad and I went to the Sony, the old Sony Theater, which is now the Lowe's Theater, in Danbury to go see the Mummy because that was uh, the Mummy came out in 1999. So I was, you know, I, I was, I was just out of my first year of school. And like I said, you had like a week to go or something. Yeah. And so we're sitting there and we're watching the movie and they dump all the scarabs on him in the, in the tomb. <laughs> and I, it's right in my mind, please retain this image for a later nightmare. Yeah. Uh, because it's like, uh, 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 as uh, if the being mummified alive wasn't terrifying enough. <laughs> no, well, well, no. Okay. I'll, I'll put it to you this way. So this, 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 this kind of speaks volumes because the mummy was on, uh, either TBS or TNT, one of those channels. They were showing all the mummy, the the Stephen Summer, the, the Summer's mummies, right? Yeah. Uh, and the scene, I mean, there's all kinds of scenes. The scene where the scarab is crawling through the guy's yes. skin. Yes. Oh God. Haley goes. Haley now. Haley, she watches everything with me, and she goes, "Oh my God, Daddy! What's oh? There's a bug inside that man. Could that really happen? Like that scared the crap out of her because it's a it's a bug, and that could get inside you." Inside of me! You yes. Know. <laughs> they just pulled well, a cucaracha out of a Chinese woman's nose. There you go. Well, uh, saying I mean, it, that, that scared you know. her. Not the mummy. Not 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 when he turns into the giant wind. Not when any of that stuff happened. That thing could get inside, like, just under her skin. And she didn't even see the scene where they, because we, we, we turned it on, like, midway through. Uh, she didn't see the scene where they dumped the whole bucket of them on. I'm like, what no, part yeah. of it? But, <laughs> the best is the guy shakes the bucket. Okay, yeah, get like, all. We don't want any of those guys. Are <laughs> 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 you know, they all you in there? For these bugs. They yeah, use, paid for them. Yeah. We're going to use them. So yeah, help me God. stragglers. <laughs> yeah, no I, mean, I think it's one of that's one of the things. If you can look at uh, one of the, you know, obviously I don't, I don't, can't remember any other uh, mummy movie ever having scarabs that ate somebody. That yeah. would be an addition. Um, in the horrific end of things to those movies where they're that, that looks great. They're much more action adventure. I mean, they're popcorn movies. They're, they're, yeah, they're, they're movies for, yeah, they're fair. And they are, they are fun. I mean, my wife loves them. Uh, I mean, the weakest thing, the weakest thing you can say about the two mummy movies, the absolute weakest thing is the Scorpion King when he's all CG. That's really yeah. bad. Thing, oh right? yeah. That's horrible. And, and, but, and you know, and what, but you know, what's funny is that, and I'll, I'll, I promise we'll get back to hammer. But as an aside, <laughs> what what I've always thought about that scene with the with the really poor CG Scorpion King, is yeah. that okay? That's the first film that The Rock made was was uh, Mummy Returns, right? So yeah. nobody yeah. knew that The Rock was going to be literally the king of Hollywood 
20 years later or 15 years later, right? Okay. So you make that movie knowing that instead of having that be a big CG monster, you just have The Rock come out not right. wearing a shirt right? and just kicking the living crap out of Arnold Voslow and um, – and Brendan, uh, Fraser, yeah. Brendan Fraser for for Brendan six Fraser. minutes, and now that and that ending works a lot better, you know, does, because yeah. The Rock is such a physically imposing dude. It's, I mean, Brendan Fraser's not a not a not a small guy. Arnold Vosloh's not a small guy. The Rock make you know, it's it's like we used to say about Big Dick Dudley. He's got arms like legs and legs like people. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, ECW reference there, but but, but, but yeah, but, it's true. Yeah, it's very so, true. But, but and and that gets back to what we're on here because you know. You know, um, um, Lon Chaney Jr. was not a small guy, but Christopher Lee yeah. is a big dude. And when yeah. he comes smashing through, that's, I mean, that's what a thats what a mummy's supposed to look like. He's an unstoppable force, and he's so physically imposing that you can kind of buy it when he throws Banning across the room. Or, you know, when uh, he shrugs off the gunshots and all that. It's like, it's, you know, I said before, this dude's not playing around. Well, Cushing, Cushing's character is also hobbled, too, so... That's what I was just about to bring up. Was, yeah. Does that come from any of the other source material for, for Mummy stories, or is that a, just an invention of the, the Hammer film? Well, I don't remember that, the idea of the main character Be- having a, a... Because a, it's a, a great conceit leg. to have. I mean, you've got the villain that can barely move, and then you've got yeah. the hero that can barely move. Yeah, it's like no, the nursing home. That's why it worked out so right. well at the nursing home. Yeah. But the... No, the, the uh, John Banning, Cushing's character having the limp, that's not from anything else. Yeah, that's the that was. This. I mean, that, I, I think they wanted to put that in. Well, it, it gives the reason why he wasn't in the tomb. It gives right. him kind that, of... That's the, that's the problem the is he can't, he can't run after, he can't chase after... When 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 you know when when he when he takes her away, he can't run there. He's trying to move, right. but he's always crippled. He's always whatever. That it, it gives it gives him. I think it gives instead of him allowing him to be that like you know always to hear. He, he's not Van Helsing. Like Van Helsing, oh. we've seen him jump across tables and rip down shades and whatever you know kind of thing. I think it just gave him a weakness. You know, yeah. kind of like look at it, him not being you know anybody well, yeah, could stand it makes up him a to different. Thing. Yeah, well, you know, uh, Van Helsing was a, a learned man, an intelligent man, but again, he was more of an action hero. Banning, yeah. as an archaeologist, that was always one of the again one of the things people point was like, well, these guys are archaeologists. How come they're men of action? You know, this this is in the days before Indiana Jones, and all archaeologists became men of action. <laughs> but uh, you know, but here it's like, okay, he's not a man of action. How does he how does he work this out with his with his brain? Because he knows Egyptology, he knows the legend, he knows the uh, the stories and the lore, and he's the one that figures out. You know, Isabel, let your hair down. He do, you don't yeah, look yeah. like her with your hair up. And so she's like, and so, and that works. He, he knows all this. So it's the idea of a hero that uses his intelligence. You know, Jay, you made reference earlier to, to Quatermass. You know, the Quatermass was, you know, uh, was one of the, you know, the, there was, they showed up a lot in this era in British science fiction. They were the scientist as a hero who wasn't necessarily an action hero. It was kind of a crotchety older guy who got, who was the hero because he was literally the smartest guy in the room. And that's John Banning. Yeah. You know, Banning literally is the smartest guy in the room. It takes people a while to catch up, including, you know, Inspector Mulroney and all the drunks and everything else. Seven, ten feet tall he was, I tell you, ten feet, seven, seven, seven and a half. But that's like me at like, uh, you know, first night at Gen Con. But anyway, that's again, that's the story for another time. Um, <laughs> so the attorneys tell me. But, you know, so it's, it's the idea, again, you've got a, a physically imposing guy who has his limitations, like, like, like you were saying, Hero. And it's not a physical thing. It's not Van Helsing fighting Dracula. As cool as that is, you know, 
the, an archaeologist is not going to have necessarily the the physical acumen to go and and an, an actual archaeologist, not a action hero archaeologist, to go fight a reincarnated mummy that's throwing people around the room. You know, yeah. Van well, Helsing he actually, has spent his whole life training. You know, right. I'm a kill me a Dracula. You know, so yeah. yeah. I mean, the thing the thing with Banning is every time he attacks the mummy, right? The way, and when when he comes to the door, I mean, he shoots him, right? Uh, you know, he's shooting him. He stabs him with the poker. Like he's getting choked like, every time. Like he's, he's, just, he's like, I got him. Well, no, I don't. Yeah. And, he, and if it wasn't for her putting her hair down, well, you know, I mean, if she, yeah. if she was like, now I like my hair up, you know, kind of thing. And he was like, I'm going to choke this guy till he's dead. I mean, he doesn't, he can't stop him. You know? And I think that it's, it's what they're doing is they're selling you on the power the mummy has. Like he doesn't feel pain. Like he doesn't. It's it's you know. Yeah, he, he's, he's slow, he's but once he's got you, he's got he's you. Got you. That, he's yeah, inexorable. Yeah. yeah, he really yeah. is. He's, he's inexorable. You know, that's one of the things I've I've always thought was kind of funny is that um, the kind of sh- the the flesh eating zombie, starting with Romero and moving forward. You know, they they borrowed some of the shtick from sure. the mummies. You know, the sure. mummies were yeah. were always slow, but once they got got you in an area, you couldn't escape. They were inexorable. They would always keep coming, and the the mummy was always the same way. Even back in the days of, uh, like I said, of uh, of Lon Chaney Jr., Karras would just keep coming. Nothing would stop him from his appointed task, and that was that to me is always one of the strengths of the mummy as a monster. You know, the mummy sometimes he he's you always he always gets mentioned. It's like, oh yeah, Frankenstein, Dracula, the Wolfman, and the the mummy you know <laughs> because he's one of the big four and you got to include him but a lot of people kind of shrug him off it's like well i could outrun him you know it's like yeah you could outrun him are you going to run for the rest of your life no you because just run down to the heavy where they keep the heavy machinery and get yourself a steamroller yeah <laughs> i got well, some fire know, here yeah but you know that you got to get a permit you got to get a license and training and certification and yeah. you know you got time you got time exactly <laughs> but but you know so it's it's the the idea of uh, of you know that and again it ties into you know the the whole um, the the fascination with Egypt and Egyptology that came up during the late 19th century when all these tombs are first being discovered i mean Egyptology was a huge thing i mean you had Again, if you ever get an opportunity to read uh, *Jewel of the Seven Stars*, I'd, I'd recommend it. It has it has one of the most anticlimactic endings in the history of literature, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. But the, all the all the stuff leading in, you know, the the kind of stuff where they explain the the culture around Egyptology, especially in England, leading up to and around that time, it's it's fascinating stuff. And then all the ideas of of uh, the, the the stories about Queen Terra and, and the flashbacks and all that are, are very cool. But, you know, there was this fascination with it. There was a reason why the British Museum at the time had, you know, the uh, the, the most, uh, the, the greatest collection of Egyptian artifacts and everything in the world and was popular and people were going there constantly to see all this stuff. It was a huge fascination with this ancient civilization that was so different and so unique and so, you know, air quotes up to the microphone, strange and backwards for the modern civilized world. But it also so that, had a mysterious supernatural element mm-hmm. feel to it you know right yeah because the just their few just the you know the idea of mummification was such a unique thing at that time now obviously now we know that other cultures and other parts of the world did similar sorts of burial rites not exactly the same but similar ways to preserve bodies and had similar yeah, like ideas the mummy. like the aztec mummy or even the yes. the incans the the incans did this did very similar sorts of rites 
You know, and uh, in fact, they used that joke in the mummy, the the Dragon Emperor, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. There are no mummies in Peru, and it's like in 1943, mummies were found in Peru. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, or you but, read to the the robot fights the, the Aztec yeah, mummy. Yeah, the too. robot <laughs> fights the Aztec mummy. That then now it's getting real. You had robots too. No, yeah, well, that was a modern robot, and you know. Armanos, the devil has built a robot. It was, it's the... actually, yeah, it's actually the a past modern robot, but yeah. Well, it, at the time, it, it was a contemporary. It was modern robot. for the time. It was a contemporary it was robot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a well wisher in that I don't wish you any specific harm. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, but so it's the I, I guess you said it's it's it was this exotic thing because even what what was yeah. known at the time of the Greeks and the Romans. You know, and yes, they had their, they were polytheistic like the, the Egyptians were. They had their kind of things that they did. But I think especially a, a Western audience, for lack of a better term, could understand what the Romans did. We knew about the Romans from writings in, you know, in the scripture. We knew about the Romans from the stuff, the, the writings of their philosophers and their art. We knew a lot of that stuff when when we were uncovering the tombs about the about from ancient Egypt. This was all brand new. Nobody knew this stuff. You know, so much of the of the of the ancient Egyptian uh, civilization was only discovered because of finding tombs. You know, they didn't leave stuff on. They did, they left some stuff out on the surface, but you know, we didn't. Nobody knew what the hell it was. It was it was a, it's a pyramid. What's in it? I don't know. I don't want to go in there. <laughs> There's a mummy in there, man. But you know, we didn't know that at the time. But um, so it it was this whole idea of this fascination with it. And again, and they talk about this even like I said with Banning and Day talking about, you know, the history of your country and, you know, you're still steeped in violence and blood rights and all this stuff. It was a savage sort of thing to, you know, uh, conservative, buttoned-up 1950s England to, to watch this. So this really was, even again, in the wake of the Universal films the previous decade, you know, this was still something that spoke to people about it. I mean, Egypt was a mysterious, exotic, far-off land, you know, where, where they did shit like this, apparently, so... I said it, it just works so well because, like I said, it, it's not trying to be anything more than it than it pretends to be. It's telling a story about a living mummy come to get revenge on those who defiled the tomb of his beloved princess. It's it's a standard mummy story, but it does it so well and it looks so good, and it's got such a good cast that it's it just it's it's a joy to watch for a guy like me who you tell me there's a, a new craptacular mummy movie on DVD at Walmart. It's like, well, shit, I better stop there on my way home from work and pick that up. You know, I've got more than a few of those upstairs. I don't know if I'll ever watch any of them, but I've got them because it's got a mummy in it, you know, but uh, so that's that's I mean, again, I'm a fan. So I may be, you know, I'm, I'm, I come to it from a different perspective, but I think it really it's earned its place as, like I said, the third pillar of the base, the base of Hammer Horror, and it, it holds up to the stand, the test of time. Some, what, uh, fifth, almost, almost fifth. Well, yeah, more than fifty years after its release, fifty-eight years after its release, this movie holds yeah. up really damn well. Why didn't they ever do the creature from the Black Lagoon? Well, well that was. That I remember that the, was. That Right. That so was that, later. That's the, yeah, well, yeah, the yeah. creature, the creature films were 54. in the was fifty four, and then yeah. what was it? Revenge was fifty five, and Walks Among Us was that fifty seven? Oh, okay. they, they were. They were. The Something problem like is the creature so they were Black coming Black out at the same Black time. Black yeah. 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 The creature movies get creature of Black Goon gets lumped in with Dracula, Frankenstein, the Wolfman, and okay. the Mummy because he's one of the Universal. Uh, um, you know, he's he's Properties, one of the Universal yeah. monsters. But the problem was. Um, is that, uh, I mean, so. we're talking, yeah, 54 is Creature of Black Lagoon. Yeah, 54, 55, 55, 56 is the three of yeah. them, yeah. 
Right. So the problem is he gets lumped in there because nowadays, like, it makes sense they'll put him in there. But um, at the time, I mean, they were still current property. So remember, yeah. the, the only movies that they got the rights to uh, was when they went through there, they got the rights to Dracula, Frankenstein, and The Mummy. Um, that was part of their original deal they had had uh, with, with Universal. Excuse me. And they had limitations on what they could do. Right. Uh, with Frankenstein, it could it, you, you could use Frankenstein, but you couldn't, couldn't make him look makeup. like you know the yeah. makeup. Yeah, it uh, look like you could do Dracula, like right? You could do Dracula, but he had to have he had to be he couldn't be exactly like Bela Lugosi. Like it had to be different. And I think they wanted to do different. And the Mummy makes sense because the Mummy is a very classic thing. And again, as Luke just said, British people were obsessed with uh, you know Egyptology, so uh, it became a very easy kind of mark for them. What we notice is when you look at the other movies they made, um, they made Curse of the Werewolf, which, which is their, their Wolfman movie. It is so not the Wolfman. They didn't have to worry about getting rights for it because it's just a werewolf movie. you know. Uh, and then what else did Universal make? Right? I mean, Universal by way of classic Family monsters. opera. Well, it Family seems like opera. with Frankenstein and Dracula and the Mummy, those are all things before Universal, too. You know, Frankenstein's Mary yes. Shelley, yeah. you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, 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 and mummies are mummies. Right. And and I said uh, nominally, again, it, it, they when the mummy films, they say, oh, it's inspired by, you know, uh, uh, Jewel of the Seven Stars, which is, which is not again, not really true, other than the idea of a mummy coming back to life, which right, is not right. quite the same thing. But, yeah, and, that, and that's what Hammer would do. Once they kind of established themselves, they would, their, their sequels would draw on folklore from... Yeah. These, these, you know, the, 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 both the, the existing properties and then, you know, in the case of the mummy films, draw on the same tropes that all the other mummy films draw, drew on from what we knew about ancient Egypt. You know, the, the best example I can provide of that is in um, Dracula Prince of Darkness, the idea of running water being a deterrent mm. to a vampire right. is not mentioned in the Universal Dracula or any of its sequels, but became a big deal in Hammer because they, it was something that was old that they brought back. They said, wait a minute, we can use this. Because now that that's another thing we can use as a foil to Dracula, mm -hmm. is the idea that, that a vampire cannot cross running water. Which, again, you know... It's, it's something like that that you're right they, they they take these older properties and we know them from i hear this argument a lot when it comes to the fairy tales that became the disney the disney movies that we know the version of them presented to us through popular culture you know um, and and so that that's what we're familiar with even if the source material could be quite different you know pinocchio the source material for pinocchio is vastly different in a lot of ways than what most people know about pinocchio yeah. no you know air quotes and and that's the same with with Dracula and Frankenstein and you know the mummy's a bit different because it's again more based on reality or, or you know pseudo reality than yeah. than, the, quote, than on a particular quote. well then on well then on a, a piece of fiction that is adapted yes. you know in the case of Dracula yes. and, and Frankenstein uh, you know and and that that's again the, the strength of the Hammer films is that starting out like they did just saying hey let's let's make some remakes and make some money they basically created a, the neo you know a, a whole movement the neo gothic movement. That they're known for, you know, and, and that others, that Amicus and other studios tried to cash in on. And then as they, as styles changed, they changed and created new stuff. So you got the, you know, what I call the nudie cutie British movies, you know, where it was like the com combining the, the nudie cutie comedies with, well, hey, we can put, we can put scantily clad girls in, uh, you know, and give them fangs and make them vampire chicks, you know. And we yeah. can have scantily clad. That's what I'm talking yes. about. Yeah. They're, they're lesbian vampire stuff. Vampire circus, vampire lovers, 
uh, Twins of Evil. Twins I mean, like evil. Hammer Hammer did not play around. Like when they did, when they were gonna do like we're doing this, we're going on. They they we're going balls deep, motherfucker. That's what we're doing. Like they are not. They weren't like let's kind of tease it. No, it's it's naked. It's it's uh, uh, Ingrid uh, Ingrid Pitt and. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Veronica Carlston and like I mean all these amazing and and oh, who were the I forgot the twins names they were playmate they were like playmates of the year like they went and got like really good looking women they got them naked they put some fangs on them and we're like we're gonna do this like it was just they were you're, not playing you're around bite, you're gonna bite her on yeah. the boob okay okay it was, I'm in the wrong industry For, yeah okay <laughs> twin, twins of evil start former pub former Playboy Playmates, Mary and Madeline Collinson. Thank you. Those there are the go. twins from Twins of Evil. And, uh, and you know what? I'll, I'll know Google what, image search. Yes. And you know, you know what I always, and, and again, we're way far afield from the mummy here, but it, we're just talking about Hammer. I'm just talking about Hammer. We can dig it. Uh, the You know what I always <laughs> loved about all those Hammer, you know, those, those nudie horror Hammer movies and all the ones that ripped them off? The girls always had hair that was long enough. That when they needed to, they would, you know, put it on either side so it could cover their nipples. Yeah. You know, yes, they you always know. had, you had to have long hair long enough. It has to go down to the middle of your back so you can cover your chest when we needed to. Now, we're going to be a little bit, but just just a touch, you know. Yeah. <laughs> just to see how it works. <laughs> yeah, did you got all the, and, and that created a whole little subgenre of, you know, fantasy and horror. Oh, sure. Yeah. Nudie cuties, you know. Um, one always pops into my mind is Cinderella and the Golden Bra. Of course, the golden bra, Cinderella, and the golden bra. I need Dude. to see this bra. C- bra. That's golden bra. bra. Cinderella with an S too. You need you need a cigarette bra. Yeah. Oh, sorry, that's talking about Bounty Hunter. Yeah. <laughs> oh my lord. Yeah. Yes. Ooh, oh, they sorry. were. They were. I'm on Google. They were sir. very, yeah. very attracted women. They was. It was not that they, they, they knew what they were doing. I mean, they, Hammer knew what they were prom- doing prominently in all my Hammer books that I have. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the thing is too, Hammer, Hammer knew what they were doing. Even, even when they got to like doing a movie where there's no nudity, there's uh, um, uh, like when they did One Million Years BC, when they One Million Years BC, uh, one, one million, one million BC, yeah. the no, one Hammer million, no. in. One million, no, years one million years BC, years BC with Ray Harryhausen yeah. doing the special effects. You know, Ray Harryhausen special effects brought a whole audience to it, but they were like, "Hmm, who could we get to play the blonde cave girl? Yeah. <laughs> who could it be?" And there are people who have never seen One Million Years BC who recognize the the loincloth heard around the world, the right? Fur kind bikini, of thing, you know, yeah. the fur yeah. bikini, right? I mean, I mean, uh. The problem is Raquel Welch is is I mean she's still beautiful I mean she's I mean is a much much older woman but with that that her on that poster she is huge on the poster and then what happens there's a little tiny pictures of like them two Mac and whatever and she really said she goes well I had I had I had you know it was early in my career make a picture I'm like no one will ever see it she goes yeah that didn't work out that way and again <laughs> you know at the time she was a little embarrassed by it because they were basically just selling her body but. You know, but it's a caveman movie. You know, I mean, Hammer knew what they were doing. You know, they got the best special effects artists in the world to do the effects. You got arguably one of the hottest women in the entire world at the time. To, you know, I mean, it's not Ursula Andress from Doctor No, but I mean, it's about the same time. You know, kind of thing. So, but it's, you know, I'm just like they, you knew what they were doing, and that, they knew what they were doing those things. The problem was, and I shouldn't say a problem, but the, what Hammer originally started doing here, and we see it with Dracula, and we see, I mean, even in even in uh, horror Dracula, uh, you know, the women are again, uh, you know, they're all getting bit. So, but they're not ugly women. 
It's not like they're like, hey, let's get some, you know, ugly women in this movie. <laughs> With they some bad teeth. One... That's what the British people yeah. like, the bad teeth. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes, There's yes, yes. And they like, like those teeth you could eat corn through a knot hole in a fence. Mmm, you know. Jesus Christ. So, no, Jesus Christ. And we lost the British contingent. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yes, any, any, any British listeners, please send email to botsbugsbabes at gmail.com. <laughs> Every picture I've seen of Andrew Leyland and his family, they have gorgeous choppers. They do, really. Well, it is 2017, so. That, they're, yeah, a love, they're a lovely, Yeah, you get good dentures family. in 2017. <laughs> no! Oh, that was Honeywell that said that. Yeah. All I said was that for, they, they didn't they didn't cast people like that. So yes. anyway, so uh, I mean I know we're kind of all over the map here, uh, but Luke, don't you have something uh, an email or something about Hammer yes. stuff? Yes, I do. So I'm glad that we talked a bit about Hammer because I do have an email here regarding our coverage of Hammer Horror. And if you would like to send feedback into the show, please send email to Freak Vault, all one word, Freak Vault at gmail.com, and your comments will be read. Here on the show, and our email is entitled Hammer K. Oh, a hammer sandwich. My hamster from Jack Bond, a friend of uh, of the Art Destruction Directive and Bots, Bugs, and Babes. So Jack writes, yep. "Here's a story about Curtis of Frankenstein that comes back to me in these days of post-credit sequences and mid-credit sequences for The Impatient." Back in the early 1970s, there was this TV station in a nearby city that showed movies 4 to 6 o'clock weekday afternoons. Jack, I think every market everywhere had a station like that. I believe. Yes. <laughs> it w- of course, it would have to be something pretty special to get all us kids to agree to give up whatever reruns we normally watched. Something called The Curse of Frankenstein would qualify. I can't say how edited w- it was, but I'm willing to bet there was one shot that didn't hit our eyeballs, if you know what I mean. Ha <laughs> ha Neither mom nor dad were into monsters or sci-fi, but they indulged us. The TV just had to be back on our local station for the 6 o'clock news. Ordinarily, no problem. The show's over, get up and start clicking the dial back. We'd already seen all of the scenes at the end of Star Trek, with Balok at the end, right? Uh, we knew Gilligan's theme by heart, or whatever. But here we were, Frankenstein led off the camera, focusing on the guillotine, and the credits started. And we just each holding the others back. Not yet! Not yet! We knew that blade had to fall. The bitter disappointment went after waiting like 20 seconds, it didn't. <laughs> Years later, when research and collecting allows me to watch them in order, with the rights picked up by various companies, Hammer Films were as hard to collect as <coughs> Toho Films. <coughs> I can see the next film has Frankenstein's rescue, but activates the guillotine as if they knew that they should have ended the film that way, or that the audience would remember it that way. Speaking of audiences in an order, I hope you aren't going to skip the aforementioned Brides of Dracula. In the early 1970s, Christopher Lee Lee as Dracula was a known thing. Blacklight posters of him in magazines delivered through school and all. But I wonder what it was like in 1960 to anticipate two horror series starring Peter Cushing with no Lee in sight. Plus, there's a scene that highlights the difference between Cushing's characters. Frankenstein is a veneer of civility over ruthlessness, while Van Helsing is a good man to his core, but that core is made of steel. Signed, Jack Bond. Jack, thank you very much for writing in. That is an awesome story about watching The Curse of Frankenstein on TV. Wait for it! Wait for it. That's Wait like the it. kind of story. It, it, it like I picture it. It should have a title. It it should be like the Curse of Steel. Yeah. And then then you read it. That's how he should have titled the email. Curse yeah. of Steel. 
It sounds like actually something you'd get from a Conan movie. Sounds like a Man of War album. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Man of War, the Curse of Steel tour with supporting acts, Ghost, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I go. I just want to yeah. throw one thing, Jack. If I miss, I think I mispronounced Jack's name earlier in the yep the the, uh, the episode when he because he wrote into Boss Bugs and Babes about Dad and Cleopatra and stuff. So if I did, I'm sorry, but uh. <laughs> It, it wasn't meant anything. It wasn't me trying to be mean. It just was like it was really exciting. So we're ripping on Cleopatra again, and that's fun. Yeah. Well, but so. you got an email, so that's always exciting. <laughs> but uh, yes. you know, I don't. Yeah. But to, to address, <laughs> let me look through my notes here. I don't. Holy I don't know. Shit, that's... I don't, <laughs> hey, you know, sometimes it's like sometimes you you just just get sometimes you just get emails and you're happy, and then it's like, dear sir, it's like, damn it. But anyway, <laughs> uh, look, I, I, I don't. I but the boss fucking big email thing, I, I'm like, I get an email pop up in there because I have it set as my. I'm like, oh sh- yeah, I go to there. It's like, redeem your five dollars at a Google Store. I'm like, damn it, yes. I don't want to redeem it. I'm not, I'm not spending twenty five to get five, you know, kind of thing. So yeah, I was, this, this I, I always is, this isn't, it. yeah, this isn't, this isn't chiller. Okay, I'm not, gonna, yeah. I'm not gonna play oh your games God. here, Google. But let's, any, anyway, let's, let's looking, looking <laughs> over the the list, you do That's it, pal. You just made the list. Um, we don't actually have Brides of Dracula on it, but we probably could cover it because we do. We are going to cover at least one more. I'm assuming one more, um, at least one more Hammer Dracula film. I'm not sure. We've we've tossed a few around, so I'm sure we will we will be able to talk about the Brides of Dracula, even if we don't cover it specifically. I think our Hammer shows going forward are going to be kind of like this one, where we're going to be talking about Hammer as a whole. Some inside. Yeah, inside the framework of a particular film, because some of the ones that we've got, you know, on this list here, lend themselves up to more discussion than others, just because they're connected to a series, and some right, of them are, right. more, are more standalone. Um, but yeah, no, Brides of Dra- I remember liking Brides of Dracula a lot. I don't remember. It's been a while since I've seen it. Probably not since high school. I'd say seeing seeing Brides of Dracula. I remember watching. Like I said that was not one of the ones that was on. TBS always seemed to show the Hammer movies when I was a kid. WTBS. That was not one of the ones that was on. Frank, yeah. um, Dracula Has Risen from the Grave, Taste of Blood of Dracula, and Horror of Dracula were the ones I remember being on TBS a lot. So those are the ones I'm more familiar with, just because I've I've seen them more. But I mean, they're all. I mean, that even even some of the later ones like Dracula AD 1972. They're they're a little mod, a little strange, but they're worth watching. All these are, yeah. are good, you know. They're they're an evening's entertainment at at, at the very least. A little mod, yeah, a little movies... strange isn't like a drawback for me. Yeah, <laughs> you're not deterring. Well, yeah. but, well, but I'm know, saying, but the modern Dracula movies need to be watched. You know, no, so, yeah, Dracula modern movies... Go ahead. I'm saying the Dracula movies should be watched in order, though. Um, just like uh, like when you watch, you I mean you got you have to watch them in the order in which they were released. Because what happens is when you watch Horror Dracula, then comes Bride. Then, then you have, have to watch Brides in order, with like Dracula, Dracula Prince of Darkness, and then Brides. Because you remember, Lee didn't want to come. Lee didn't want to do it anymore, and that's why they did Brides of Dracula, the different movie. It has one of the best. The end of that movie has some great imagery and some great stuff in it. That it's a shame never made its way to a Christopher Lee one because it would be remembered better. But when you, Luke's right, when you guys taste the blood of Dracula and Dracula risen from the grave, th- those were on all the time. Scars of Dracula was oh, yeah. never on until Anchor Bay came out with that. I had actually never seen that movie. Yep. And then um, uh, Satanic Rites of Dracula, which is also called Dracula and the and the Vampire Brides or Vampire whatever. 
like that one bounces around on the freebie, like on the freebie, but like on those like 50, 50 movies for a dollar kind of thing. Cheapy disc, yeah. The cheapy disc, right? And then Dracula nineteen seventy two AD was another one that was impossible to see. But they, if you watch them out of order, they don't make as much sense because you you kind of see, even though they don't directly technically tie together, Lee is you can see him kind of going through there and the progression of his Dracula. Mm-hmm. So, I, and again, The Bride of Dracula, I actually watched that, uh, I think it was last summer. I was watching it, why was I watching it? Oh, I was watching it because I needed, um, I was watching Hammer movies because I needed to see, um, uh, I was doing a, a female flesh tones for painting. So I figured that's the best place to see uh, lighter skin female flesh tones in movies because mm-hmm. it's true. Because, again, they're vampires and something. And that's kind of, and the one thing about Hammer was they certainly weren't going to flash the lady on the screen and take her off. They lingered on them, you know, because they're like, we're paying her, you know. Uh, so when I was using that for flesh tones and for veining, uh, kind of looking at the way it looked in movies with lighting and also for the um, Veronica Carlton in, I forget what movie she was, what one it was. Um, she's wearing basically, the, I mean, her and Ingrid Pitt, they would wear the most see-through clothes. Oh, yeah. Ever. And I'm, when I'm trying to make see-through clothes, it's hard when I'm like trying like it's hard to look at a picture if I can see an actress on the screen and how it's lit and stuff like that. That's a lot of what I was doing there. Um, but Bride of Dracula, it's it's again, it doesn't have Cushing. I mean, excuse me, it doesn't have Christopher Lee. It only has Cushing. So people, it doesn't kind of people don't think of it because it doesn't have Christopher Lee Dracula coming on the screen. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, oh. but yeah, it's a good point. It's and it's a good movie and uh, you know so. But again, I think I think we're gonna hit. You know the idea we, we're we're touching all over like the Hammer stuff here, you know, and I think that's one of the we, I think that speaks volumes about Hammer itself is that uh, as I mean you know there are there are co- production companies now that make movies you know like Bloomhouse Pictures and stuff like that, but Hammer was I mean they were everyone wanted to be them they 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 yeah. they, they hit they hit with Dracula they hit with Frankenstein they hit with the Mummy, I mean the the, the Mummy came to America. And it played on a bill with the Bat. I think it's Vincent, the Vincent Price yeah, movie, Vincent Price, right? Yeah. Which was another, you know, Poverty Row kind of movie. But they knew what they were doing. Those movies came here. Why? Because they made money. They knew how to. I mean, that's what American distributors aren't going to pick a film up. They're like, ah, eh, let's pick it up because it's artsy. Now they picked it up because it made money. They knew what they were doing. I mean, Amicus would never existed if it wasn't for Hammer. Mm-hmm. And Amicus gave us some great stuff that we we'll talk about down the road. But these other companies that came out of the idea that hey. They did it. Why don't we do it? You know. So, yeah. anyway, I don't want to get too you know get us all over the place. So no, we're, we're already over the place. I mean, well, well uh, speaking of the future, what are we doing next? Let me consult the aforementioned list. And uh, up next, this one is a this was one that I requested be put on this because it is a film that I had read about for many years and had not seen until it was released on the Hammer Icons of Horror DVD mm-hmm. set. And it continues on the trend that we've been here of, hey, let we're going to remake some of these classic Universal monster movies, but we're going to give a little twist on it. And the film that we are looking at next is The Two Faces of Dr. Jekyll. And Ooh. this is, again, it's one that was... I remember reading about this a lot as a kid because one of the things was, oh, it's the only one where, you know, uh, Jekyll's kind of a, uh, uh, you know, kind of a... a you know, a, a not really uh, social guy. He's kind of antisocial, and Hyde is a suave, debonair sociopath. That that was what always was the 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 catch with this movie. 
And you know, this one it 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 does have uh, does not have Peter Cushing. It was directed by Terrence Fisher, and Christopher Lee is in it in one of his best roles, I think, not as a as a villain, but not as a monster. So I think it's a it's a very interesting take on uh, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, which is another. And you know, I I, I like I I really like the the story, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, the novella more so I think than any adaption of the film. That's one of those I really just like the 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 literature. But this was a uh, th- this is a really unique and novel take on it. So that's where we're going to be taking out last time. So uh, continuing right in the same era, that's from 1960, and like I said it's on the Icons of Horror DVD set along with Curse of the Mummy's Tomb, The Gorgon, and there's one other one. Jay, what's the other one on there? Is it Twins of Evil? That'd be an awesome. If it Twins of Evil is on there, <laughs> Icons of Horror. I don't. I, got, I don't remember. That's, remember a, that, cause, that's that. Because the Winnie Call just came out. Yeah, because because the. Uh, um, I, the icons are hard. The problem with the hammer came out with, um, there's, there's releases of that. Yeah. The, 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 I'm trying to remember which one of them has curse of mummy's tomb. Um, it's got the, the one I'm thinking of has the curse of the mummy's tomb, the two face of Dr. Jekyll, the Gorgon okay. and scream of fear is the fourth one. Not okay, yeah, I, the, yeah, fear. Yeah. Scream of fear. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's the first release. And then the second release, the icons of suspense collection from hammer films was different. Yeah. Um, and then they just put out what do you call? It? They just put out that that DVD, that Blu-ray set. That that's where. So if you're interested in getting the Mummy, uh, that's that's where I'm going. So what happened was Hammer. There was a there was the two sets that came out. Um, hang on one sec. Sorry. The it was the Mummy. Um, oh, the Frankenstein movie. I'm trying to think of what the heck it was. So it was uh, there was two different ones that came out. The one that came out that I'm thinking of is what the mummy is. The mummy, uh, Taste the Blood of Dracula, Dracula's Risen from the Grave, and uh, Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed. That's that's the that's the Blu-ray release that just came out. Um, and then the uh, they because they, they put a second one out, and the second one they put out was the Hammer Horror 8 film collection, and that had um, the uh, Brides of Dracula, Curse of the Werewolf, Evil of Frankenstein, um, you know, the... Uh, uh, the family opera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, kind of thing. So, yeah. but if you're interested in seeing the Mummy, um, the Blu-ray, the Hammer Hammer Classics Horror Classics Volume One Collection, and that came out. That that's on Blu-ray. Um, it's around usually on Amazon about 36 bucks. If you go to the Two True Freaks website, hit the the link, go on over, order it just like I did. Um, it's awesome. I mean, the month that the each one's its own individual disc, which is also really cool. Um, and they're beautiful. I mean, as much as Hammer Horror is all about the colors and everything else, they clean these up beautifully, you know, kind of thing. So, um, but yeah, and uh, the as Luke said, the other the DVD he's talking about that has uh, that on there, that came out a while ago. It's still available. You still get it. That's like probably yeah. I think I think that's around ten to twelve dollars. Ten to twelve dollars for for, yeah. for four good movies. The, four good the, movies, yeah. Yeah, and if you want just the Mummy, you can get it as a single disc DVD for five ninety seven and a single disc sure. Blu Ray for for eight bucks. If you if you just want to get that one, there also is not a Blu Ray set, but there's a there's a DVD counterpart to the Horror Classics Collection. Which is 1999 for Curse of Frankenstein, Dracula's Wizard of Gay, Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed, Horror of Dracula, The Mummy, and Taste of Blood of Dracula. So it's like you got, you know, five really good Frankenstein and Dracula movies, and then the best mummy movie ever made for 20 bucks. That's a pretty good deal yeah. where I come from. Yeah. You know, so yeah, it's, I mean, it's out there. The Mummy is not one of these ones that was harder to find, it was always one of the easier ones to find. And it was always just out. You know, it was, it was always on TV, it was always available. I remember seeing it on VHS back in the day and on DVD. I've got the old. 
uh, clapper case that I got back in the 90s. Uh, not not the Amore case we're thinking of, but the clapper style uh, release of it, which is was the original DVD release. And it's a good, the DVD is good too. That's the thing about these movies. The Blu-rays are beautiful, but the DVDs are fantastic because the colors come out so much richer on the DVD than they ever did on VHS. You know, yeah. so there, you, can, you can't go wrong with either format depending on what your preference and your, your home theater setup. So uh, definitely check this one out and use that link at twotruefreaks.com to go over to Amazon and pick this one up. If you are listening to our Hammer coverage, I think you will be very, very happy with this film if you have not already mm-hmm. seen it. So, guys, any, any final thoughts on The Mummy before we put this one back in the tomb? I might, <laughs> instead of going to the Universal, I might check out the Brendan Fraser ones just for contrasting... Well, those are universal. <laughs> those are universal, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, like the yeah, the original yeah. old one, the black and white uh, guys. Well, like like I said, I mean, they are they are definitely more of an action adventure film, but I, I think they're a lot of fun. And yeah, you know, Summers, yeah. yeah, Summers talks he not not with the mummy films, but he talked about he made after the two mummy films, he made Van Helsing. And the the quote I always remember reading from Summers talking about Van Helsing was that he wanted to make the kind of movies that he remembered watching with his dad on TV on Saturday mornings, watching old monster movies with his dad. And so he wanted to make that kind of experience, the idea of a fun monster mash movie that you could that, you know, that that would be one that a kid would watch and be a little scared and a little spooky, but would still be fun. And that's what the 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 summer's mummy movies make me think of. It's like, you know, there's nothing in there that's inappropriate for uh, a kid from content. It might be a little scary in parts. Right. You know. But there's nothing like, oh my gosh, they're they're really pushing the envelope here. Van Helsing actually is a bit scarier than than, than yeah. those, just because of some of the vampire stuff. But again, I mean, if you've got a you know a, a you know ten year old or something like that, they're going to eat that up with a spoon. You know, it's I, I it's it's very much in the vein of some of the Monster Mash Universal movies. So, yeah, I I check them out. You know, a lot of people have a lot of negative things to say about those films. I never quite understood it. It's like, I, what are you expecting here? It's trying to be a fun adventure movie. That's also a remake of the Mummy. Yeah, I didn't really understand. It's, it's aping it's aping Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's aping the the serials. It's they're Sounds taking good. a little bit from the yeah. it, they're fun, man. Yeah. Well, Summers, I think, gets knocked as a filmmaker undeservedly because he makes he makes popcorn one of those, movies. He makes, but he's he's not, but he's not embarrassed by it either. No, he's not. No, he he's he's a lot. You know, we we talked about this with, uh, you know, with with uh, Trick or Treat and with Krampus. You know, it's like Doherty makes movies that is like, yeah, that's what I want to make. You know, I'm not. It's, so what? It's not an Oscar movie. I don't care. You know, Stephen yeah, Summers I mean, is. I mean, he. Yeah. I mean, Deep I'm Rising, a, two Mummy movies. G.I. Joe. Joe. Yeah. The Van Van Helsing, yeah. Van Helsing, it, I, they're they're in all of those are in my regular rotation for Absolutely. fun movie watching. Absolutely, you know. Yeah. So yeah, give it give it a shot. You might you 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 may surprise even yourself. Whoa. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I uh, final thoughts on this one. Um, yeah, I uh, I got sucked into it. You know, I got sucked into the movie. Got sucked into the to the design aesthetic of the movie and. Uh, it was um, not quite what I was expecting, so I, uh, I really enjoyed it. All I can say with this one is when um, when Christopher Lee died, I said, I want to watch a Hammer movie. I said this to my wife. I just said it to myself out loud at the office. No, I said it to my wife. I said, I want to watch a Hammer movie because I want to, you know, thinking about, about Lee, and he just passed away. So she goes, well, what do you want to watch? And I said, well, I said, I got it down to these three. And I said, well, I got to go with The Mummy. It's, it's my favorite of the Hammer films. 
just because, it, like I said, it's, it's in many ways the perfect mummy movie. And for a mummy guy, you can't go wrong with this. So um, now if you guys will excuse me, OK, I've got to go take Sarah. I got some Tana leaves brew and I got to go look in on them because you can't let them go too long. The whole house will stink. And it's yeah, and I can eat this teepee off my foot. <laughs> <laughs> I got a teepee in my pants. Mm. Oh, boy. <laughs> and we're out. And we're out. OK. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the 2TrueFreaks at the same time. Visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled T-W-O. T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S You can email 2TrueFreaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com 2TrueFreaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two Two True True Freaks. Freaks.